If only you were privy to the conversation that we're having before we started recording. We could recreate it very easily. <laughs> very easily. Welcome back to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Chuck has no clues to what we're going to talk about today because I have it all right here. How is that different than any other time we do this? Don't you realize? I guess I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize. See, that's my acting skills. Those acting classes <laughs> yeah. I took back in college, I just kind of... Pull that stuff out every once in a while. Just completely bamboozle you. Yeah, you pull something out of somewhere already. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no getting anything past you. Yep, there uh-huh. we go. All right. So we have Christmas week, which is just crazy that this week is Christmas and usually people are going to the theater on Christmas Day as a family. Did you ever do that as a family? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as it, it was later on, uh, after my parents were divorced. Uh, you know, my father and, and my brother and I, we would go. Uh, I remember we went and saw The Godfather Part 3 on Christmas Day. Why, why are you laughing? It's just such the Christmas movie. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> there was an article years and years ago that this columnist that used to write for the Chicago Tribune named Bob Green. Oh, yeah. He wrote about uh, Clint Eastwood and how there was a Dirty Harry film that was came out on Christmas Day. <laughs> and it was the whole thing. Really? <laughs> Is that a Christmas thing? I don't think so. But, but yeah, it's funny. Christmas has become... A day, uh, you know, where people do go to the films as well as Thanksgiving. Uh, and I get it. You know, your family's together. You talk. It gets to the point you can't stand <laughs> each other. Hey, let's go to a movie. So you have that illusion of doing something together right. as a family. You can sit there for two hours and not have to talk. It's great. <laughs> so what movie would you have seen this this Christmas Day had theaters been open? Probably Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know that we will, we would have, and we will be able to get to see it before Christmas Day. But that's it's a film that, you know, needs to be seen on IMAX, I think, and a big screen. And, right. Uh, also, you know, the, something I miss uh, is um, I was thinking about this today. For some odd reason, I was thinking about baseball and how I miss going to the baseball game and the electric feeling that you get when you're with a crowd mm-hmm. at a ball game or a concert or a big movie like right. that. There's just that feeling in the air when everyone's together, and I miss that. Yeah, yeah. Were you thinking about baseball because you can't play basketball as evidenced by throwing, <laughs> <laughs> throwing that paper bag into the garbage can that was literally three and a half feet away? No, I was, I was thinking about baseball because I had seen Sound of Metal last night, and there was a great baseball reference that I'm sure you missed. I did. What was it? The guy says, the guy who runs the <laughs> clinic or the, the yeah. yeah, Paul Ricci. Uh-huh. Yeah, he has his dog. He gives the dog to Olivia Cook, says, Here, take care of Louis. I named him after Louis Aparicio. Yeah, I missed that. Short stop for the Chicago White Sox Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah, Jesus. God. God. I clapped. Did you? It's like, yay! Yeah, and my wife looked at me. Yeah, you're insane. <laughs> Just like you would have as well. There you go. Yeah, yeah but no, Beth I was thinking, has you covered at home. I have you covered with a movie. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was thinking about the film and that and then baseball. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm sure I'm not alone in thinking at the end of the year. The end of the year is always one of those times where you take stock of of the previous year, and I'm, I'm just thinking of all the things I'm missing yeah. and looking forward to getting back to. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some soulful kinds of movies like Disney Pixar's Soul. God, do you do you get paid <laughs> for this? I mean, you're so damn slick with Aren't those I segues. Know? I know. Mm. <laughs> Whew, there he is. Hey, Curly. Leon skipping town really put us in a bind, man. Yeah, I, I'll bet. I'm glad you made it. My boy Bishop said he uh, sat in with you on a set last year in Brooklyn. Said you were great. Well, <laughs> you don't have a far coffee shop. Hey, Dorothea, this is the cat I was telling you about. My old middle school band teacher, Mr. Gardner. Call me Joe, Dorothea. I, I, I mean, uh, Miss Williams. Uh, 
It's a pleasure. Wow, this is amazing. Uh, Joe is Ray Gardner's son. So, we're down to middle school band teachers now. You know, um, Pixar, I don't think they've ever made a film that I haven't just fell in love with. You didn't I see just, Cars 2, did you? I did not see that one, actually. God, You're it was right. awful. Was it really? And so that's Pixar? Yeah. Was, yeah. was the original Cars as well, I take it. Yeah. So it was mm -hmm. that bad, too? I didn't see that one either. Oh, Cars is fantastic. Okay, all right. Cars is fantastic. Cars 2 is the worst film they've made. And Cars 3 is okay. Okay. I remember I remember writing in my review of Cars 2 that the streak was over. I think that was like their 14th film, and everything up to that point was either good or great. Okay. And Cars 2, they just flubbed it up completely. But, I mean, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a studio more consistent than yeah. that. Well, and especially Pete Docter. Oh, he, gosh. He is the guru, the leader of anything in directing animation for Pixar. Anything in directing animation that has heart. Right. And in this case... I mean, this is the guy who did Up. This is the guy who did Inside Out. Right. And now... And also Soul. all the Toy Stories. And the Toy Stories, yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. He has a formula, uh, but you, you, his, his movies are, are a bit elevated as a part, uh, you know, with the Pixar. Well, and I think they always appeal to children and adults. Now, I yeah. do think that there is a possibility that this one might appeal more to adults oh, than completely. to children because this is an existential process about regret. life and death <laughs> and regrets and and cherishing what you have. It stars Jamie Foxx as is, is, uh, Joe Gardner. Joe is a teacher, a middle school teacher, I middle believe. Middle school music and teacher. Band. Yeah, you, you um, can't get much worse than that. <laughs> How do you know, Chuck? How I'm, do you know? I heard. <laughs> I've heard it. And uh, he gets one big break. But unfortunately, after he gets that big break, he's, he's anticipating going back and playing with a famous musician. And he steps in a hole. Manhole. Manhole. Yeah. Manhole covers off. He steps in a hole, and he finds himself in between life and death in a way station. Um, he tags on to this little person-ish, pre-human thing. Sprite? A, a soul? A, a, an incomplete soul. Right. I think that's how they describe it. Is that what them. it was? Okay. Yeah, and missing it, their spark. Right. And, and um, he's called, or she's called, 22. Mm -hmm. um, 22 is a little fiery, and... <laughs> Uh, 22 has no want to become a human. 22 just doesn't think it's worth it and has no want to do that. And Joe inadvertently ends up going back onto Earth and trying to find himself and save himself so that he can go back and, and live the life that he feels he was meant to live. Um, this is a beautiful story between the two of them. And it's funny as one becomes a cat and the other one becomes Joe. Um, but I mean, you see how when you walk in someone else's shoes, you can see the beauty of what life they do have. If you were to walk in my shoes and I was to walk in your shoes, we would see each other's lives through a totally oh, different lens and appreciate what we have. Completely. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Yeah. It's just, it's just I thought... It just got a little bit too goofy for me but at times, and I'm like, my God, don't jump the tracks here, but they recover nicely. They do, and I think that's to hook in the kids, too. Maybe. You know, Maybe. because this definitely, conceptually, <laughs> is an adult's movie. There are two images from this film I'm not going to shake anytime soon. Which are? The Escalator to Heaven. Mm -hmm. the, the vastness, the way they draw this thing, the perspective of it, and how big it is. 
just was like, I, my, I was just in awe of it. I was like, oh, God, that's really, really cool. But then the, other, the flip side, something that really bothered me. Okay. Um, there's a section of this, uh, do we want to call it heaven, pre-life? I mean, the, this life. other world, whatever it is. Beyond but there's a, there's life. A, there's a section where the lost souls are. And the lost souls, are, they're in this very dark area. They have one eye. They are, um, they just kind of trudge around in circles. They have no purpose. They're, they're surly. They have no personality. And just the way those creatures were, were, were drawn and presented really affected me. I was like, my God, that is exactly how you feel when you are that way. And that, yeah. I think, is the genius of, of Pete Doctor, mm-hmm. whether it's inside out and all those emotions that she's dealing with and the way they personify those, right. the way he personifies, uh, like I say, these lost souls in, in this film or these, uh, you know, these sprites that we'll call them that are being formed. It just is a perfect crystallization of how you feel made real. Right. And, and that, I think, is the genius of him. And, and that, that really affected me in this movie. In the animation, to be able to com- give you that, present that feeling and mm-hmm. that understanding is genius. It really is. Well, and I think that's what separated the Pixar films. Right. Because as you, as you pointed out, even the Toy Story ones and so many of them, these are all metaphors for adulthood. I mean, you go back right. and look at every single one of them are. Right. But that they are able to address those deeply felt emotions, I mean, deeply felt feelings and, and bring them to the fore. I mean, I think that any artist, whether it's a painter, a sculptor, a filmmaker, you want whoever's looking at it to say, yes, I have felt that way. Right. And that's what those films do, and especially here. Well, and incredibly, I am watching this movie and I forget that I'm watching an animated movie mm-hmm. because the emotion is there. I got a chance to talk with one of the animators for Joe Gardner, <laughs> the character of Joe Gardner, and he's actually a, a local guy to Cal, Illinois. Oh, cool. Um, Brent Deanst. And you can mm-hmm. take a look at that interview at WCIA.com. Um, an interesting technique that they used in order to find those emotions and those actions and make them so incredibly real. So you can take a look at that online. And at the end of this film, <clears throat> it doesn't quite destroy you the way the first five minutes of Up does. But there is a montage of sequences at the end of this that had me in tears. And it just reminds you that life is worth living. And it's the little things, those things that we walk by and we don't look at, those things we take for granted. And it's just that reminder. Right. And we need that reminder every once in a while through, through our heart to remind us that, yeah, hey, this is why we're here. Right. Cool. So yeah, both, good film. Really yeah, good film. And that one comes out on Disney Plus. On Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. So take a look at that. If you don't have Disney Plus, it is well worth the five yeah. bucks that it costs. Yeah, yeah. Dive in. Yeah. Dive in. Um, you know, that brings us then to let's talk about Midnight Sky. Um, take it away, Chuck. This is based on a novel called uh, Good Morning, Midnight. And yeah, it's the end of the world as we know it. Uh, just what we need this year, <laughs> 2020. Of course, when they were producing this film, there was no way of predicting uh, everything that was going to happen. But ironically, everything that has happened makes this much more uh, poignant and mm-hmm. pertinent. Uh, because basically, everyone on the planet has been wiped out. And the only person that we know about who's still around is a doctor. 
uh, Dr. Augustine, played by George Clooney, and Clooney also directed the film. Uh, he's suffering from a terminal illness. We don't know if it's cancer. We don't know if it's the disease that we're assuming has wiped out everyone on the planet. Uh, he has no home, so he has decided to stay at this observatory where he's been doing research at the Arctic Circle. We see the observatory being uh, evacuated at the beginning of the film. He's just going to stay there. Well, he's not alone. Uh, it seems as though a young girl, uh, about seven, eight years old, was left behind, and he suddenly has to deal with her. He also has to deal with the fact that he remembers that there is a spaceship that's coming back to Earth, the Ether, and the Ether has a five-person crew, and they have been sent out to check out a planet that Dr. Augustine has found billions of miles away, which they think resembles Earth and might be able to sustain life. And when you know it, it does. And they're coming back to deliver the good news, but they don't know eh, that this disease has wiped out everyone. So Augustine decides that he has to warn them. The radio that he has at his disposal at the observatory isn't powerful enough. So he and this young lady set out across the Arctic wilderness to another station 100 miles away that's going to have a stronger <coughs> antenna, and he's going to hope to contact these people. So basically, it's two movies in one. Right, right. It is. Um, it was a really ethereal, contemplative. Boring. In the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, it just, wasn't. Just though. cut to the chase. It, it, in the beginning, it wasn't. It no, really, no. it set it up wonderfully. It sucks you in at the it beginning. Really it's like, did. okay, the this is a hook I can go with. 41 minutes. 41. <laughs> yes, I watched it You're twice. very exact. Okay. I was. And I was like, where did I fall apart on this one? So, what happens at minute 41 that suddenly. I don't even you remember. You remember? Nope, okay. I don't even remember. I remember I. I wonder got, if that is at the point where they leave to go to the other station. Be. I'll yeah, have to take I'm a look again. Thinking that that's about where, yeah. But I remember I clicked pause and it said forty-one twenty-eight on, <laughs> on the timeline. And then I went and let the dog out, and then I don't remember. You were in no I, hurry to get I was, back. I was not. I was not. And that's that's just so sad to me to to say that because this had a lot of potential. And I think whenever anybody takes a book, the book must be pretty darn good in order to right. make it into a movie. Um, this just just really spun its wheels. It never captured me after that point and I didn't care about the characters and what was going to happen and yes there is this glimmer of hope there somewhere but there's as you had said and I was talking to you about you know why what was it about this that really made it so frustrating is the fact that you said there was no sense of urgency yeah um, and there's not even though they're racing through the arctic circle and trying to get to this this bigger antenna you never feel like it's a race against time. Yeah, yeah this, is, is. this is a beat-the-clock <laughs> movie, and, and we're taking our time. And, and it, it's, it's so ambitious, and I think that also leads to frustration because mm -hmm. you see the money that was spent, the effort that was going, and you can see what this film could have been. Right. Um, do you think this would have been better as a miniseries? Than no. No. <laughs> no. I it, do. Really? I do, because then we could have gotten to know the Damien Bashir character. We could have gone back in time You're a talking about more. the five uh, crew members yeah, on yeah. the... Yeah, yeah. Because we didn't... We only got little glimpses yeah, of them, there. and mm -hmm. I needed more, mm -hmm. you know? See, I was watching... I watched it a second time because, okay. you know, we had the great good fortune of uh, interviewing George Clooney and his young co-star for this, and I thought I should watch this again. Mm -hmm. And I and it struck me the second time, the same as it did the first, that there are some scenes there that I don't know why they're there. That if they would, if they were cut out, this thing would move a lot quicker. There's a scene in which they encounter a airplane that's crashed, and there's someone on board. Right. Why? 
this does not move the plot, plot along right. at all in any shape, way, shape, or form. Do you think it's just for like a different special effect or a different scenery, or why? Why is that in there? I don't. Know. I don't know either. I don't, I don't know. know. And there's a there's a catastrophe that happens on the spaceship uh, station that I wonder why that's there as well. I do too. Because that could have what what is accomplished there could be accomplished in a much more economical vital, maybe even more interesting way. Right. And it's just too long. It's too long. And then there's this hokey part of that scene. Uh, just, it made me cringe. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, wow, this would be a cool special effect. How do we squeeze this in? Yeah. And that's not, that doesn't help you, your story. Yeah. Stick to the story. Yeah. You can't let the technology dictate the story because mm-hmm. if that happens, then you lose any sort of, of heart. Uh, and, and it kills me to say that I'm on the fence about this. I love him. Uh, like I say, this is an ambitious film. It just sits there. I say watch the first 41 minutes. <laughs> and you're Take good to go. Take the dogs out. Take the dogs out. Go for a walk. Cook a little dinner. <laughs> because it's just, it's dull. Yeah. It's yeah. dull. I'm yeah. sorry it's dull, you know. I had high hopes because I love George Clooney. The interview, however, was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I will say this. I love the ending of the film. But because, oh, yeah. but because, and I think I said it to you, he, he wants to move us, he wants our tears, but he just doesn't earn them. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I've got to be more interested in this. And as you're pointing out, we don't get to know these people well enough. Yeah, got to be connected to those characters. Yeah. And I wanted more, um, and again, this happens in the first 41 minutes, minutes of the yeah, scenes, yeah. <laughs> um, of Clooney's character, Augustine, with little Iris, played by um, Kaylin Springall. And... They were magical together. Yeah, yeah. They, they were so <coughs> adorable. And yeah. the whole pee scene when they're fighting, doing a little pee fighting scene, that was just so cute. She, she comes in to sleep in his room and he doesn't want her right. there. This whole push me, pull you, pull you, leave a relationship. A yeah, there was comedy. a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, there really was. It, I needed more of that. That's, I agree. That's human connection. And when you're doing a space movie, you gotta have the human connection, or you gotta have a villain, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I I would say skip it, which is just killing me to say that. I'd say if you're a fan, give it a shot, yeah. and then maybe at 41 minutes, you're, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and that's streaming on Netflix as of Tuesday, December yes. 23rd. 23rd, right? Um, let's talk about news of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, and I'm here tonight to bring the news from across this great world of ours. So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man can do. It's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. Do you understand English? Dolly, I call that a friend. It says your name is Johanna Leonberger. Indians took you when they attacked your family six years prior. The mother, father, and sister were. Well, they passed. She's got family down in Castroville. Captain. Why are you doing this? She needs to laugh and dream. She needs new memories. Yeah, there's some correlations here between that and Midnight Sky. Yes, very much so. 
And um, you read the book. I did. Um, I started the book and then got a link 41 to the movie. pages into it. <laughs> 41 <laughs> pages, 41 and a half, 41.28. Um, and then I got the link to the movie, and so I watched the movie mm. to make sure I had time for that. And Tom Hanks is, you know, he's a pull for me no matter what. You know, if he's sure. in the movie, I'm going to watch it. One just, of the greats. Just like with, with Greyhound. Sure. Um, did you see that one? I think we talked yeah, about really that Yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed that one more than this one. Yeah, I I liked this one a lot. I didn't love it. It did not make my top ten list. I'm, you know, I really hold out for those movies that are released in December that they're going to make my top ten well, list. Well, that's they they want those yeah. films. You know, they they set them up that way. They hold them back uh, and they build up. You know, and even though we've been doing this a long time, we're not immune to hype. You know, we're not immune to getting excited about yeah. things. Uh, and uh, yeah, this one just didn't live up to it for me. Tell us the premise of it. I did. I did Midnight Sky. Well, oh, you're you eating a muffin. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Hanks plays a uh, Civil War veteran uh, from the South, Confederate officer, former. Uh, he's adrift. He really doesn't have. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have much purpose. He goes from town to town in the West uh, post Civil War, and he has a bunch of newspapers from all over the place, different newspapers from different cities, and he puts out a little can, and he rents a little hall in each town, and he reads the news. He picks stories uh, from various papers, and he dramatically reads these news stories uh, for whatever people want to contribute to listen to them. And um, I love that concept. I, 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 cool, right? Yeah, and I would love to... I, have some time. Maybe I'll do some research. I wonder if anyone actually ever did that. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, that is just such a cool thing. We take it for granted now. We pick up our phone and we know what's going on. But to be that isolated. Right. You know, he reads a, a, a story about, um, I think, a labor strike or something. Yeah. And everyone is just absolutely enraptured by this <laughs> dumb story. I mean, something that we would think is a run-of-the-mill thing. Right. And, and, and I just love that whole aspect of it. Right. Um, he's going from town to town, and he encounters a um, young girl. Young girl who, who uh, and I didn't understand this. Who was she with? Because this is different than the book. Right. So in the movie, she is hiding as he's traveling through, and it looks like she was, she and, and whomever took her, some army person took her from these Indians because she obviously doesn't look like an Indian. Right. She's this very German-looking little girl with blonde hair. So he takes her because she's got nowhere to go. So, so in your description right there is vague <clears throat> as to why she's there and who know. she's with. Yeah. And that's a problem I have with this movie because that happens on more than one occasion okay. where I'm wondering what's going on here exactly. Right. But yeah, she had been kidnapped and was part of a Native American tribe. She now is not. And uh, circumstances align to where the Hanks character, he's basically charged with bringing her back to her family and has to go through some treacherous territory in order to do that. And chaos ensues. There you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Their relationship, though, is the crux of the movie. Sure. And how she doesn't speak because she speaks whatever the Indian language is, which is, again, very similar to what you were pointing out to Midnight Sky, where yeah, the little girl doesn't talk She doesn't either. speak either, right, right. Um, and also, come play. That little boy didn't talk as well. No, nope, nope, we know? got a lot so of Interesting, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but their relationship is beautiful as she begins <clears throat> to trust him, because she doesn't. She was a victim of an Indian slaughtering, basically, of mm-hmm. her family. 
And then she only knows this Indian family for who knows how many years. Right, yeah. And now she's taken by this stranger, and who knows, can she trust him? You know, and he comes across some different people that can't be trusted with this little girl and earns her trust. Um, so it is all about trust and communication. But that's one of the big problems of the movie. I needed more of that. Okay. I needed a lot more of that interaction that they right. have. Because you're right, that is the backbone. And sometimes that trust that she shows or the leaps in their relationship seem a little artificial and could have used another scene or two sure. to show me how that, those uh, gaps were being bridged. Right. Well, and again, that human connection, we need that to mm -hmm. connect with the characters in order to relate to them and care about them and bring it forward. Can you explain to me, mm -hmm. and I didn't understand this when I read the book, I didn't understand this when I watched the movie. I'm getting older. Maybe I'm getting dumber. I don't know. But about thank you for holding your tongue there. I did. You're I really very did. nice. You're very, that's my Christmas, Christmas present from you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but about the three-quarter of the way mark, they're traveling and they encounter this group. And this group is just it, they've carved out a, an area in the Southwest and it's like hell on earth. There are buffaloes that have been slaughtered and oh. left to rot because they take the hides. They've wiped out and driven out all the indigenous people and any people of color. They have formed their own community, and there's this guy leading it, and he's a zealot, and he wants Hanks to read the news. What's going on there? Where did these people come from? What is that guy's purpose? What exactly are they doing? I mean, I mean, they're wiping out the Indians by taking away all of their food sure. sources. Right. Um, they are just bad people that are trying to get more bad people to do what I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it just seemed incredibly nebulous, mm -hmm. and I didn't quite do it. The, the one thing that I thought was incredibly timely, though, is that this guy wants Hank's character to read a story from, and I'm using air quotes here, his newspaper. <laughs> Isn't that funny? His newspaper. Isn't that funny? Wants him to put forth this notion, these beliefs that this guy has, and Hank's won't do it. And what was so refreshing about this was that as Hank's character is reading the real newspaper, this guy's followers, and I'm using air quotes here again, respond to the truth. They respond to these real stories. And I was like, oh my God. Was this in the book? No. Oh, no, no. so this is a little little bit of sprinkling of uh, yeah, it's so incredibly timely. You mm -hmm. know this you know this whole disinformation thing that we've been dealing with, and to me that was the thing that almost saved the film because like my God, you just nailed that. Well, I guess then that's the reason for that entire scene is to have the artificial news Perhaps. versus the truth. You know, perhaps yeah. Yeah, other, otherwise, there really wasn't any reason for them to even be there in that area. And was, that part was in the book, but not without, but, but without the other part. I mean, it's just, huh. I needed more. Throughout the entire film, I needed more. Okay, okay. Um, I, I still think it's worth seeing. Um, I think that little girl is... Uh, Helena Zingle. Yes, a great little actress, and I do like their chemistry together, and I liked the ending. I thought it was a beautiful ending. The, la the last scene is, is fabulous. Yeah, it is, right? It's fabulous. Yeah. yeah. So check out News of the World, which, again, opens on Christmas Day on VOD. No, it's in theaters. Ah, Universal in theaters. is still hanging on to this whole theater thing. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be on VOD real soon, and as soon as we get a date, we'll let you know. Great. Um, let's go to Promising Young Woman, and I will take that one. I knew you would. I would. Um, this is uh, first-time director and writer of a feature film, Emerald Fennel, or Fennel. 
Um, and she is, uh, she writes a story about a woman who is seeking revenge on men and not just any group of men, but men who don't take mutual consent seriously. I just thought that you were drunk. Yeah. Really drunk. Fuck. Yeah. Well, I'm not, but that's good, isn't it? I think you should leave. Oh, now you want me to leave? No, I just... I'm really high. Like, I'm really fucking high right now. I don't know what I'm doing. I think you should go. But a second ago, you were determined for me to stay. You were pretty insistent, actually. I'm a nice guy. Are you? I thought we had a connection, I guess. A connection? Okay. What do I do for a living? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. How old am I? How long have I lived in the city? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Carrie Mulligan stars as Cassie or Cassandra, and she is a struggling woman. She's in a rut. She has not realized her potential. She used to be a med student. She is no longer. She and her friend Nina um, dropped out years ago because of a trauma. We don't know exactly what that trauma is, but Cassie seeks revenge on these guys, sets them up, goes to a bar, pretends she's blackout drunk with no phone, no friends, and no way home just to see what these guys are going to do. And then just when they're taking advantage of her because she hasn't given consent, she's all of a sudden not so drunk anymore. Mm -hmm. And they pay. <laughs> they pay. Um, this is a horror film that is not your typical horror film because this is what happens to, I'm going to guess, 98% of women, girls who are in college mm -hmm. who experience you know, drinking too much and young boys taking advantage of that. Um, they set up a lot of great premises and a lot of good conversational points of he said, she said, and believing people when, believing women in their stories. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the, I think one of the most poignant moments in the film is when um, Cassandra confronts Dean Walker, the dean of uh, the medical school, and refreshes her memory about her friend Nina. Played and by your doppelganger, I Connie know. Britton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Connie Britton. Um, and her reaction to it is every stereotypical reaction that you hear mm -hmm. um, when you hear of these stories. Well, I didn't want to ruin this young man's life. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, well, what about the woman's life who was ruined because she was raped? And I thought that was an interesting twist that they, in making the dean a woman. Yes, yes. It's like, wow, that's, that's kind of a little uh, a twist I did not see. Yeah, I, I thought that was wonderfully done because... Not just men say, you know, we didn't want to, you know, just take the, the young woman's word for, you know, this and ruin this young man's life. This is, that's universal across the sexes. Well, and I'm, I, I would imagine it was more financial. Kid was probably had a parents who were perhaps big donors to the college. Yes. And you don't want yes. to upset them. You right. know, there's all these other factors that play into sure, this. Sure, sure. Um, and then Alfred Molina mm. plays a lawyer. Um incredible performance um, just between the two of them he he has demons haunting him mm -hmm. because he badgered this woman Nina on the stand when she was um, accusing this young man um, Al of, of raping her and um, 
Al's parents had the money to defend him and hired the best of the best. And Alfred Molina plays this character who is haunted by what he did to this young woman. He's waiting for the Reaper to come. <laughs> and the Reaper is in the form of Cassandra or Cassie. Uh, great interaction between the two yeah. of them. Um, yeah, in many ways the best scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah. This, this movie... You know, you were talking, we did a, a segment earlier on WCIA about our top 10, and uh, your top film of the year gives a message to people that they need to, to see. Th this is a message that we need. Mm -hmm. Me Too, everyone is aware of, of the issue of Me Too, the Me Too movement, but now we need to have a conversation so that these situations don't happen again, because I guarantee you, every single girl goes through this. Probably. Yeah. I had one problem with the movie, the and I really loved it. Yeah. I love the movie. Uh, I love her. You know, I love her. She yeah. can do no wrong. I didn't have a real problem with the ending. My problem was every male character is an asshole. Everyone. And if you and you can't, <clears throat> if you're going to take the time to give us fully formed female characters, you can't paint the male characters in just these broad strokes. Interesting. It's not realistic. Her dad was nice. He doesn't count. He's oh. a dad. <laughs> but but everyone, every guy, think about it, ends up being reprehensible in some way or another. Yeah. Uh, so that's the problem I had with it. I think that was one of the knocks that uh, when Thelma and Louise came out, uh, other than the Harvey Keitel character, every right. man in the film yeah. is. And I understand the point of view. I mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm. I understand why it's done. But it left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. Okay. Uh, and I love the fact that she is open to redemption. She is open to falling in love. She, right. she, she wants to find someone. Right. Uh, and, and so it, that, that glimmer of hope, she's not completely, totally damaged, right. although she's profoundly damaged. Uh, and then when that goes away, that's, that's really crushing. Yeah, and, and amazingly so, it's funny. There are some really charming, See, I, awkward, funny mo moments in it with Bo Burnham. Oh, he's great. Um, yeah, as, I wouldn't call it a horror film. I'd just call it a pitch black comedy. Okay. I mean, okay. It, it's. It I guess is, it depends on your perspective. Yeah, com completely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it is knockdown funny at times. You talk about a great meat cute. Right? Yeah, she spits in his coffee. <laughs> That was great. I was, <laughs> and then his response. <laughs> I was watching this with my friend Kristen, and she was like aghast when she spit into the coffee, and then she just like gasped again when he drank it. <laughs> I would have done the same thing. <laughs> um, I My issue was the ending, and I don't want to give anything away, but I am going to sure. say technologically, can't grasp it. We'll talk, because I don't okay. quite know what you mean. Okay. All right. Um, this is a movie, like Thelma and Louise, though, that will start a lot of conversations. And as you say, a conversation that need to be had. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you can see this in theaters. On the and 25th. And on video on demand. Good, good, on, good. On uh, Christmas Day. Yeah. Good deal, good deal. So yeah. definitely seek that one out. Yeah, this is a Christmas movie. I know, right? <laughs> okay, I, I guess Soul is the only one on our list that really is a Christmas story, but that's about dying. And okay, here's a little warning on Soul for anyone who's going to bring their kids that... Okay, no, just anyone who's going to bring their kids... They're going to start talking and asking questions about death, dying, the afterlife. So be prepared for that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> if you haven't covered that. Yeah. It's coming. Um, the, the next one and our final one is One Night in Miami. 
and Chuck, you did not get a chance to see that one. I understand. No, I was I was late to that party. <laughs> late to that and party, not, and not uh, given a uh, <laughs> another invitation. Yes, yes, Cassius Marcellus Clay is the new heavyweight champion of the world, boy. Yes, he is. And I don't even have yes, a scratch on my face. <laughs> oh my goodness. Cash, cash, what? Cash, what? Oh, my, so pretty. Oh. <laughs> and I'm only 22 years old. There is no way I'm supposed to be this great. Look, Alexander the Great conquered the whole world at the age of 30, and yeah. I conquered the world of boxing at 22 <laughs> without sustaining so much as a scratch. That's right. Oh. There he goes. You do the math. All right. When, when is this party going down? Yeah, that's a good question. What's on the agenda, Malcolm? Well, I thought this would be a wonderful chance for us to reflect on what's happened tonight. Like our young brother said, there's no denying that greater forces were at work. You mean no one else is coming? Well, rest assured, my brother, you're not missing anything. This is a movie about four real characters on one fictitious night where they all come together. We've got Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, uh, Jim Brown, the football player, and Sam Cooke, Jr., the singer. Uh, four very different people whose lives cross over and they spend the evening in a hotel room talking about race. Why? What's, what's the setup here as to how they come together? Cassius Clay is fighting. Okay, there's a fight. Okay. Yeah, and um, he is friends with is this about Jim Brown, okay. who I think is announcing it. All right. And is Sam Cooke he... is there. He's friends with him, and he's rooting him on. Okay. Um, Cassius Clay is going to be joining. Um, this is right when he's about his... to join the Nation of Islam? Right, exactly. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so they all go to Malcolm X's hotel room, thinking that they're going to have a party there. And mm, I don't think Malcolm X is much of a partier. <laughs> no, no. So they end up, in a. some of them are very disappointed with us. And I'm they... sure Jim Brown was. <laughs> I'm sure he was as well. <laughs> Um, and so they end up sitting down and having some, some pretty intense conversations about race and what they're doing to help black people become equal. Mm -hmm. And they all have very different perspectives. We did get to know each of the characters um, and their personalities and what they were doing in their lives. The real intensity, the meat of the film really comes when they are in that hotel room together and you feel like you're watching a play and you know how I love watching movies that <laughs> replicate a play. I really do. I, it, that's intense to me and it's great camera work and being able to bring you into the hotel room and you have some uh, incredible conversations. You know, they blame Sam Cooke for not being strong enough and working with the white man and oh, wow. um, some pretty <laughs> accusational things and then we talk about Islam and and we realized too how young Cassius Clay was oh god yeah um he was a baby he was He's a little like kid you 22, know 22 23 yeah. at 20, this point yeah 21 22 and yeah. he was a young kid um and I think it puts a lot of those things into perspective the cool thing about this is that we get to know these men that in any other documentary that I've seen about Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay or Malcolm X um I never really felt like I got to know them. They bring a lot of personality to these characters. We've got um, Kingsley Ben-Adir, who plays Malcolm X. I was not familiar with this, this man before. No. Um, Eli Gore plays Cassius Clay, another no. person I'm not familiar with. Aldous Hodge, I love Aldous Hodge for lots of different reasons. Um, he, he does a great job with Jim Brown. However, um, I don't know if, if any of these portrayals are real. Leslie Odom plays uh, mm -hmm. Sam Cooke Jr. Um, 
great portrayals, very different men, very different styles and interactions. So if there is any inkling of truth of the personalities, and um, I think it really does a nice job of highlighting what might have happened had they have all been together, but alas, they were not. Mm -hmm. This is fictitious. Okay, I'm going to get you excited about a superhero film. Is Aldous Hodge in it? Yes. Oh, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. What's it called? Uh, it's called Black Adam. He'll be playing Hawkman. Okay, so I'm there. there. I am uh, in. I yeah, am the in. The Rock will be Black Adam. <laughs> Aldous Hodge is uh, Hawkman. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, All so right. And Black Adam is the villain of Shazam. And I know you liked that I did. film a lot. I did like that film a lot. That so was a lot that. of fun. Remember I clapped at the you end did. of that? You did. You even cried a little bit. <laughs> I did. Yeah. And let me tell you my Muhammad Ali story. Oh, yeah. Uh, I Many years ago, I worked as a law clerk in Chicago downtown. I was coming back from lunch, uh, walking down Madison Avenue, and St. Peter's Catholic Church mm -hmm. was there. And there was a huge crowd in front of the church. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I look over, and there's a mobile home parked in front of the Catholic Church. Big crowd, big crowd, but it was, a, it was a huge crowd, maybe 70, 80 people just standing around in a semicircle, and they were so quiet, so quiet, and it really struck me as odd, and so I kind of went around to the edge, and I looked here, and there's Muhammad Ali. Wow. He's got literature purporting the Nation of Islam, and he's autographing it and giving it out in front of the Catholic Church. <laughs> Oh, the irony. Oh, that is funny. It was fantastic. And I just, and I was late to work. I didn't care. <laughs> I stood there. This guy was one of my heroes. He signed a book for me and gave it to me. Did he really? He did. And it was heartbreaking because it, the uh, Parkinson's at that point had started to take its toll and he wouldn't speak. And I watched how everyone was doing it. And he looked at you. You told him your name. Mm -hmm. And then he put your name down and autographed it and gave it to him. And in the 40 minutes I was there, there were four or five women who went up to him and put little pieces of paper in his hand, and he stuck them in his pocket, and they just walked away, <laughs> even at that point. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but it was, what was remarkable to me was just how the magnetism of this man and how everyone was just so reverent towards him. They mm -hmm. were quiet. There was no jostling or pushing or, you know, right. when you have a crowd around a celebrity, everyone kept their distance because they knew who this man was and how important he was. And he just had that that aura about him. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just fascinating. Wow. Absolutely that is fascinating. so cool. It was really a highlight. And if you've not been to the Muhammad Ali Museum in Louisville, right. I was there last year. Right. Even if you don't like boxing, even if you got to go to this thing because okay. it's about so much more than him and so much more than boxing. It's about the the uh, racial struggles and his life and how it mirrors that, and it's fantastic. Okay, I'll have to go. I have not gone. They renamed the airport after him as well. Yeah, yeah. They have this neat thing there where you can put on some boxing gloves mm -hmm. and you hit this thing, and it gives you pressure back, and as it gives you pressure back, it, it simulates how it would feel to get punched by him. Oh, the my force gosh. Of it. And you're like, and it gives you new appreciation for what these guys do to each other. Right. right. But yeah, it's a highlight in, in Louisville. Very good. That wraps it up for our Christmas edition for mm -hmm. Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Well, next time, and I don't know, are we going to chop this into two episodes, our top 10 of the year? Are we going to do six and 10 and then another episode, one to five, or yeah. all in one? All in one fell swoop. Blaze, okay. blaze on through. So that'll be in the next episode. And that'll, uh, we'll, that'll premiere sometime around the new year or. Mm -hmm. Last week of December, first week of January. So we'll wrap it up and take a breather. I think we both need it. Yep, definitely. Cheers, everybody. Merry Christmas if you celebrate. If not, happy holidays and stay safe. Thanks for listening. Head full of diamonds, mouth full of
glass 